Hello, this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's Interview Podcast. I have a guest this week uh, who is the playwright of an amazing show that is running in Chicago. I call it the the hot show or the big hit of the summer. Uh, the title of the show is A Girl with Sun in Her Eyes. Welcome, Josh Rollins, the playwright. Great. Thank you, Tom. Thanks very much. Tell us how... Uh, an actor who you were, by the way, you were you were terrific in uh, in uh, Suicide Incorporated at Gift Theater. Oh, thank you. Oh, okay, you're this actor, and you wrote a few um, uh, one acts. How did you come up with a gritty per- police procedural, very realistic uh, play like this? Uh, well, the, the funny thing is, you know, I've been a I've been writing plays for for as long as I've been an actor. It's just very hard for. Uh, an unproduced playwright and an unproven playwright to uh, to ever get his scripts read <laughs> by anyone. Hey, I know. I have um, several friends in the same category. Yeah, it's tough. But this yeah. is still a town where it can happen, and it has happened. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and for me, what it really was is uh, I'm actually pretty good friends with Rick Snyder, who's a Steppenwolf Ensemble member, sure. and I helped out with a few classes that he teaches. And uh, he's been trying to get a script that I wrote called American Rex, uh, workshopped or produced for the last two years now and has kept running into these brick walls because it's a little bit bigger of a piece. It's sort of a sweeping family drama. There are 11 characters in the play and it's, you know, it's just a big, it would be a big undertaking. And uh, at one point, Osage we talking, County? <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a way, yeah. Um, and when we were talking, he was, uh, he was just as frustrated as I was and he sort of made an offhand comment about, well, why don't you write something about cops? I mean, those things get produced left and right. And so I said, you know, Rick, I'm going to, I'm going to take you up on that. And, um, you know, I say in the program, I have in the playwright notes about when I almost hit a kid on a bike, um, yeah. when I was, when I was living in West Virginia and about how that affected me and, and how I keep thinking about how my life would have changed if I had been, you know, two seconds further down the road or five feet to the left or right. And how my whole world would have changed, and so I sort of combined the two, and that's the script that you see in front of you. <laughs> well, and it's it's a uh, it, it's a major thing, and and you have uh, one of the characters uh, kind of use that speech. Yeah, Goggins, the, the 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 female cop, talks a little bit about when she was a uh, and, and when she was new uh, out of the academy, having a similar incident, and how that affected her. Yeah. And you know that so many people can really. We all have those stories. Sure. You know, I I I have one about. Uh, I stopped to itch my back coming around a corner downtown, and just for a second, and I don't know why. And then here comes a guy with a ladder. I would have walked right into this ladder, and I wow. you know, the, and the ladder was sticking out, so it would have like walking into a spear. So we all have those stories, but it, sure. it's it's great the way you incorporate it. Okay, so you don't have a police background. I do not have a police background, no. Um, but I actually do. My my next door neighbor is a retired Chicago police officer, um, and I leaned on him a lot when I was writing it. And then I also uh, we talked as we started the rehearsal process. Uh, Brian Coash, who was one of the cops for Chicago Code, and he does a lot of sort of the the the, uh, the police. You know, he's the police guy for a lot of those shows. Mm-hmm. He came in as well during a reading of the script and talked to us a little bit more about the process. And because we wanted to make sure that we were being as true and as faithful as we could be. I mean, one of the, without giving too much away, 
one of the plot points hinges on the fact that there's not a lot of technology available to this undercover police officer. She basically has a hidden camera in her room and nothing else. And so I wanted to make sure as I was writing this, is that a possibility or would there be bugs in the room and a, you know, a van outside with eight guys in it? And, you know, what, so what am I, what am I thinking here? And both officers, you know, had the, the, the feedback that it really all depends on the precinct that you're in, that there are some precincts that just didn't get the funding or the technology that they should have. And so a lot of times they'll go out on the street with wires that are broken or things that aren't working, and it's up to the undercover officer to sort of cover because you can't just stop fighting crime because your mic stopped. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and actually so, having a camera was actually kind of a deluxe thing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these places, that's all they have is a 10-year-old camcorder that's hidden behind, you know, a wall. And uh, and it's it's scary to think about, but, you know, I wanted to make sure as I was writing this, that's sort of a, an important plot point that, that it hinges on, so I wanted to make sure that it was accurate. Yeah, it was. And I'll tell you, when you walk in the place, it brought back uh, into the, the, the theater, it brought back memories that, that uh, kind of what I call dirty green uh on the walls and and the table and the chairs, it's just like the old uh, uh, police district uh, stations. Oh yeah, Grant Saban, the uh, the senior designer, did a wonderful job, and and both he and Julian Pike, who did the lights, they uh, they used a lot of the shield, I think, for their uh, <laughs> um, you know for their, their their blueprint. Yeah, and and that's how the old stations used to look. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. They brought back uh, a lot of memories. Uh, all right, so let's let's try and uh, get folks excited to come see the show because, because folks, this is an action-packed, uh, raw, gritty Chicago-style piece that'll that'll just really gr- almost grab you by the shirt, <laughs> almost literally, and yeah. and keeps you going uh, uh, for what eighty eighty-five minute show, and it's just nonstop, and it all comes together, and and it there. Uh, there are no fatal flaws in this show because I'm real sensitive. Everything you set up happens, and it all happens for a reason, and it and it, and it works. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it's 85 minutes of in-your-face Chicago theater, and uh, we don't come up for a breath, and hopefully the audience doesn't either for the entire time they're in the in the theater. <laughs> so how did you blend in? You know, it's rather difficult since theater always happens in the moment that you go from the moment to a flashback because you have to. Yeah, and well, I, you know the Murphy bed thing worked re- re- really well to sort of set that up. But but uh, in writing that, that had to be difficult. Well, I really love storytelling that's not linear because I think in a lot of ways it it keeps your audience focused, it keeps them interested, and it and it, and it keeps them, you know, in a who done it, which this at a base level is. Um, it makes it even more complex when you have sort of a situation where you have someone in an interrogation room saying what happened that night, and then as the audience, you actually get to see what happened that night and the next scene and how that's different and how it all blends together. And so the more little Easter eggs that we put in the beginning, I mean, that very first scene, the, you know, the first three minutes of the play are a wordless scene with William standing up, taking off his shoe, and figuring out that his wedding ring is in his shoe. And for an audience sitting there wondering how in the world this guy got a wedding ring in his shoe and, 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 and how that happened. Um, it's an odd 
sort of detail that you find out later. And so if we can sort of plug those Easter eggs in to get the audience putting things together as we go, then we get them really excited to see what's going to happen next. Yeah, and, and they, all the great crime uh, from Agatha Christian, they all were, were great at, at setting up those uh, decoys or plot pieces later. Uh, like you have a wallet and there's a few other things. And then when they happen, they really make sense. Uh, and, and you've done a marvelous job of doing that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And yeah, if we can make some of the moments theatrical, like, you know, the wallet that you mentioned and things like that, where, you know, some people may wonder if, if it's accurate or if someone would do that. I mean, I, I think the theatricality of it sort of sells it. Um, and I think he would have done it, by the way. Yeah, I, I think so, too. That was the final no one, warning, you know, to him to don't say anything. Exactly, yeah. And if, if we can sort of... And, and I, I, tried to, I tried to make sure that with all these characters, you know, there are, there are flaws with all of them. And, you know, Lucy in particular, the, the undercover officer, she is sloppy. She's someone who has in the past messed up in cases. She's been in trouble before. And she's not exactly the best cop in the world. And so for her to do some of the things that she does within the course of the play and then not dot all of her I's and cross all of her T's and to find herself backed into a corner, to me that's a lot more interesting than having this super female cop who gets every detail right and yeah. is herself then doesn't have a journey at all. You and, know? and the hint to that really is is when uh, uh, the, uh, the detectives are talking about her, about sure. the problems she had and she's getting a little sloppy and maybe she's been doing you know, that part of it uh, too long. And in my short experience in the police department, I I ran into guys that got real sloppy, you know, go on uh, uh, violent alert calls with their hands in their pockets, and, you know, and it's a wonder more of them didn't get shot. You know, you just get, you just get numb to it. And I think she did. And I think you set that up both verbally and then she acted it out, which made some of the scenes, uh, key scenes uh, work really well with her. And, and yeah, we, the only thing you have to do is, is ask the audience to just pay attention. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is to make sure that the audience really keys in. And we've had people come back already. You know, we're in our second week now. And we've had repeat business already from people who just want to come back after they've seen the entire show, after they know how it ends. They want to come back and see it again so they can pick up those missing plot points or those missing Easter eggs that we've hidden throughout and those hints and those clues. And so they can pick those up the second time around, which has been really gratifying for us as a theater. Oh, yeah. I, I, you told me uh, off the air that, that some people were arguing, debating, uh, you know, what happened and why it happened oh, out in the street after this. Don't you love that? Yeah. You know, the amazing thing is when we did a, uh, we did a stage reading of this, uh, you know, when we were trying to raise funds to get it up and going. And after just the stage reading, we had people in the, uh, in sort of the waiting area just arguing, full-voiced arguing about what they would do and how they would have done things differently and and just arguments left and right. And, and, you know, Matt Miller, the director, and I sort of just stood back and watched thinking, if this is what we're getting out of a stage reading, how amazing is this going to be when it's full voice, you know, full throttle actors going at it and uh, and, and how amazing is it going to be to the audience reaction from See, that and the audience reaction has been overwhelmingly positive it's been amazing to see well i ran into it i i uh stopped and had a sandwich uh, I, I did an afternoon show and i i got down your place because the baseball was going on and, and uh at the time i didn't want to get caught in the crowd 
So I had a sandwich across the street. Some people came in from the 5 o'clock performance, and they were just raving on the show. They were selling your show to everybody in the restaurant. <laughs> and, yeah. And the one lady I was talking to, she kind of knew me from some show. She said, you, you must be somebody. I see you at all the openings. And I go, you're at all the openings. She says, I love theater. I love the small storefronts. So this is a very sophisticated lady, and she brought four people with her, and they just were blown away by your show. And they said they were going to come back. Yeah, and and we've had a lot of first-time people that have never been to the theater before. We've had a lot of police detectives come to the show as well, which has been fascinating for me. I mean, one of the things I really try to do with this show is if you can take sort of the sexiness of a police procedural. Everyone loves CSI, Law and Order, mm-hmm. you know. Criminal Wayne Minds for- is my favorite these days. Yeah, absolutely. And and way more people watch those television shows than go to live theater. You know, I mean, it's just mm-hmm. the fact of the matter. So if you can give them something sexy like that and, and sort of wrap it in this, you know, the sexy wrapping paper, but then underneath you are with that moral ambiguity and with those real deep questions that these people are focusing. I mean, this is not a play that's a very slight sort of cops and robbers type play at all. But if you can give them enough of the police procedural that they want to come in the door and they want to sit down. In fact, when we were going down to actresses for some of this, you know, some of the feedback that we got from the script was, wow, it's, it's very, uh, cinematic it's just it's very cinematic it, it is and i don't think that's a bad thing no I mean, you know, that's way a good more thing. people go to the movies than go to the theater so if we can if we can imbue a little bit of that you know cinematic quality into the theater that we're doing and still make it a chicago theater where you have real actors swinging for the fences every night then why not combine those worlds well and some people made the comment they said they've watched the shield and they've seen some you know some of the really gritty films but she says this one scared me she said i thought that 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 ball-headed guy was going to come in and start slapping us around i mean you know (laughs) nothing like the live theater to create that so it it carries it one more dimension Uh, yes let me make a suggestion yeah that that, uh i told keith huff uh and he followed up on it when he did a steady rain which uh, by the way i said your play is the best i have seen since then and and uh uh it certainly is as good in some ways better than uh, than that play. But to invite, uh, maybe send something. I don't know if you can do it by email, like some of the district commanders and some of the the police brass, including the new uh, the new superintendent, and get them out to the show. I'll tell you, for every one of those tickets you you might want to comp or give them a big discount, you're going to sell quite a few. We actually already have, and you know the great thing about Pine Box is they always donate a percentage of their profits to a charity. Oh, and okay. uh, Pine Box is donating a percentage of their profits to the Fallen Officers Fund. Um, and we've reached out through, you know, Joe Cox, who was the officer who I leaned on a lot when I was writing it, and Brian Coash and some of these other officers. We're really, and Susan Bowen, who's our dramaturg, is going out to the precincts, meeting people, telling them to come see the show. We've had some undercover officers. We actually have a female undercover officer coming to see the show in the next couple weeks as well. So we've got a lot of first-time theatergoers who are happen to be in law enforcement that are coming to see him, see the show and not only love it but really comment on the on, on authenticity of this show and how it, it's really true to form, which has been really gratifying for us. Well, and in some of the the plot areas, I mean, these are all flawed characters, but they're all real characters, and everybody has an agenda. They all have a secret. That, sure. That comes out. So you, you tell us it, kind of the archetype of the characters. Okay. Well, so you, so you have sort of William, who's our, in some ways, our lead, and he's uh, he's a middle-aged sort of, I guess you could say, a yuppie, uh, may sell insurance, may not. 
who has just gone out on the south side of Chicago with a bunch of his friends to slummit for a bachelor party and gets a little too drunk and a little too wasted. And um, the results of that you see throughout the, the remainder of the show. Then you have the two main police officers played by Steve Pickering and Karen Aldridge. Oh, who plays um, William? Let's get that in. Oh, uh, Vince Tenetti, who's also, uh, sorry, Tenetti, um, who's also the, um, the Pine Box artistic director. He's fabulous. I mean, he, he has to go ride the roller coaster of, of, of emotions through, through the play. And oh, absolutely. You sort of have some empathy for him and then you don't. I guess it depends on your point of view, but, but it, you, you have empathy for him for part of the show and that's important. Yeah, and and I believe it's you know if he if he can be the everyman and and you know a- anyone could be in the circumstance given the wrong turn of events, um, and I think Vince does an amazing job with that. I he mean, sure you know, luckily, I, you know, I, I have been reading some of the reviews as they come out, and uh, and the praise for Vince is just across the board. I mean, he's knocking it out of the park every night, and he's just amazing. So now you got these two sort of crazy, well, one crazy detective and one you know one kind of good gal. Uh, right. You've got Landy and Goggins who are played by Steve Pickering and Karen Aldrich and they are ex-partners. Um, Goggins, uh, Karen Aldrich's partner has actually gone against Landy and is now in internal affairs mostly because of her relationship with Landy who is a cop who doesn't necessarily always play by the rules but usually does a good job. Yeah, he's a throwback. In cop talk, he's a dinosaur. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's definitely a throwback to the cops of of your. Um, and Steve is amazing in the role. And yeah, so you've got and and he obviously you know he has a relationship with Lucy, who's the undercover police officer who's gone missing, um, who's also a damaged person herself. She's been doing this for three years now. She's coming back off of a pretty high profile misstep that she had. Uh, I don't want to give away too much. Mm-hmm. So she's dealing with that and coming. So this is her night back on the job. And it's a pretty intimidating place for her to be in. If she messes up again, she's probably out of a job and out of a career. Um, so, yeah, so you've got Lucy. And then you've got Darnell, who is uh, a younger brother of someone who's been killed by a police officer. And you, he's not exactly your typical thug by any means. He's got a little bit more going on behind the scenes. He's like a gangbang leader type, right? Yeah, I mean, in a way, you know, he talks about how he's in culinary school and how he's trying to make a name for himself, and I think that's important is that you see this person who, um, through circumstances that aren't exactly in his control, has resulted to doing something pretty horrible and pretty illegal because of uh, sort of an allegiance he feels to his family. Which I think is a, in some ways a very tragic character if you look at it that way. Yeah. And then you have Anna, who's the lawyer, who is you know from the South Side of Chicago. She grew up there. She's been there, and she's representing Darnell, and also at one point represented Darnell's brother Lionel. Yeah, it's it's uh, so. Uh, and then of course you have the flashbacks uh, that that kind of ties uh, Lucy. Uh, to a certain extent with William. Yes. And I don't want to go too much further, but it, it just, it just works so well. Uh, uh, particularly the, the way you develop the characters, because each one of them has a secret and each one of them has a, has a flaw that they're trying to deal with. So their actions become understandable based on the way you present the characters and the way the actors portray them. 
Yeah, I mean, these actors are amazing. And, and to get these caliber of equity, I mean, you know, Karen Aldridge and Steve Pickering are usually on the Goodman and Chicago Shakes. Oh, you yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. Uh, so to get story, yeah. these, you know, when they walked into the theater the first time and, and saw, you know, the seats, just to see how giddy they were about how fun this was going to be, because it's been a long time since they played for such a small house in such an intimate quarters. And to see these two powerhouse actors swing for the fences in a 55-seat theater yeah, how is do you, just something uh, to behold. A couple people wanted me to ask you, how in the world can you uh, pay the rent with five, with four equity actors and an equity contract, which a lot of people know you know, costs more than, than a non-equity show? Sure. Uh, salary and benefits and so forth, uh, which they I think they richly deserve. How in the world do you guys do it in a 55-seat house? Well, you know, Vince, the artistic director, um, the great thing about Vince from the beginning, when, when Matt approached him with the script, Vince said, you know, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right, and we're going to do it with the best actors we can get. And luckily, we got, you know, the actors are taking the bare minimum for an equity contract. Um, but but even then, it's, it, it's tough, and we need to make sure we sell well. But the, the thing is, you, have to, you just have to make sure that when you're doing a story that everyone believes in, as this is... You know, to get voicemails from Karen and Steve every night saying we can't wait to go back on stage again. You know, yeah. we love. To I, go. We I love know to Karen. It. I've interviewed her, and I and I walked across the street, and I was kidding her. I said, and Steve, I said, how'd you guys end up here? And they go, <laughs> oh, wait, you see the show? She said, it's just fantastic. You know, and it is. So it isn't. You know, sometimes you know, as an actor, sometimes it's a gig's a gig, and it's work. And yeah. at times you really get involved in the show, and they. You know, they had me all hyped up, and I said, "What's the reaction of the audiences?" And they were saying how how fabulous they were. Then I told them the story about the people coming in the restaurant from the five o'clock show, right? How wound up they were. So uh, it, it looks it looks like uh, uh, the gamble is paying off because I understand uh, there's a tremendous buzz. And, and have you been selling out for, or, or getting good houses? We have been. I mean, you know, the fact that on on you know Gay Pride Sunday we had a, a house of thirty plus people was uh was enormous <laughs> to say the least. Um and yeah, the the ticket sales have been going really great. We also have some discount tickets available on Gold Star, but those are going really quick as well. Uh we are we are very happy with how, how it's been going. So and a little commercial uh, so, for the show, uh, where, when and and so forth. Pine yeah, Box Theater at the the old stage left, which is now what's called the second stage. Second stage, yes. Profiles bought the space and now profile second stage. So it's at second stage, uh, Thursday, Friday at eight, two shows on Saturday at five and eight and one show on Sunday as well. And, uh, we will be running at least the, the initial run is until August 7th or 8th, I believe. Good. Um, and based on sort of the response we've been getting, you know, we'll see what happens after that as far as whether we'll be extending or not but it's so far it's, it's, it's looking really good I yeah mean, and the theater's at 3408 north sheffield right at sheffield and clark yeah sheffield and clark Two blocks from the belmont uh or or addison uh red line it's real easy to get to yeah yeah definitely really close by public transportation and definitely recommended considering we're right near uh wrigley so well, let's talk about matt miller too because uh, he is he's such a good director uh, and almost everything he touches, you know, there's guys that have the golden touch, and I think Matt has it. Right. Yeah, you know, Matt's great. Matt's, you know, I, I knew Matt primarily from being an actor and, and, and him being a casting director uh, with uh, Pascal Rudnicki Casting. So Matt and I actually, had, he's been coming to a couple different stage readings. I had a stage reading, a Chicago dramatist that he came to, and Matt likes to come and see readings all the time. 
And so we had talked about trying to work together on something, and uh, I had a list of eight different plays that I had been working on on various development stages, and he read the synopsis for this and and said, let's let's do this, let's make it happen. And I can't give enough credit to Matt, because not only is he an amazing director, but he's also wore quite a big producer hat in this show. And from him being a casting director and knowing all these amazing actors and getting the script in their hands, to also really putting on the producer hat and getting the right scenic designer, the right lighting designer, the right sound designer, assembling an amazing group of people. Um, and then you get in the rehearsal room, and he's someone who's so open and collaborative to feedback. I mean, this being a new play, I wanted to be very careful as an actor, as a playwright, to not overstep my bounds and not really speak up unless I was spoken to, because I've been in situations before where the playwright sort of dominates you and, and tells you to say things in a certain way and really sort of crushes you as an actor. Yeah, and that, so that's wanted, usually the kiss of death, too, for a work. Yeah, so I wanted to be very, very careful about that. And Matt was uh, collaborative to the extreme. And really, you know, we sat down with the actors. We talked to them about backstories. We helped flush out questions that they had. And, uh, and Matt's been, uh, I, I mean, I expect Matt to blow up big after this. I mean, he's already got a, a really healthy career. He's already oh, yeah. doing a show at Steppenwolf, uh, next summer. The, the first look rep, he's doing a show with that. So, um, he's well on his way, but, um, I, I could not recommend him enough to any theater companies that are looking for an amazing director. Well, it, that's the payoff. And one of the lessons for, uh, for young folks is, is what you said is, is don't let your ego get in the way. Get people you trust. And kind of get out of their way. Not and, absolutely. And if you have the good instincts, it'll happen. How much did the, did the actors uh, help develop the characters? Because you know, you as an actor, I'm sure you love as you did with uh, with uh, uh, Suicide Incorporated. It's great to be the first one to play a role, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. It's it, it's a great feeling. And uh, and I I would say quite a bit. I mean, Vince. In particular, you know, I had a very certain type I had in mind when I wrote the character of William. And, and Vince, uh, took some things in his own direction and, and made it even better. Um, Audrey Francis, who, um, to be honest with you, she was the one person when I was writing the script who I thought would make an unbelievable Lucy. I mean, I had the character. Yeah, she's good. I've seen her in a lot of things. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, and she's Audrey, got the look. She's got that sort of tough street look. Yeah, yeah, and she's fearless. She's just yeah. a fearless actor. So to have her doing this has been a, a real treat. And then you've got Karen and Steve and, and Sean and Lucy who are all, you know, who all came to the table with a lot of questions and a lot of feedback and really helped, helped us to shape the script. And if, if something felt false or something felt wrong, they would be the first person to uh, to mention it. And we had quite a few conversations as the script went along. And I did quite a few rewrites. I mean, I mm -hmm. lost probably 12 to 15 pages uh, well, it's neat and tight, and and I'll tell you, Matt did a tremendous job uh, uh, with the, with the fight choreography. Oh yeah, Matt Hawkins is is a great fight choreographer, yeah, and in is. that space, it's very very hard to hide anything that you're doing, um, and so you need to make sure that the actors are safe, but you need also need to make the audience believe that people are getting hurt. <laughs> well, uh, the one lady in the restaurant said that she says, "I don't know how they can stand getting hit like they were getting hit," and I yeah. just smiled, you know. <laughs> She's, her eyes saw the people getting whacked around. Yeah, no, it, absolutely. And, and you know, Matt was great about that, and the actors really work their tails off to make sure that the fights are as realistic as possible. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, as the show's getting legs, is there any chance of getting it remounted at a, at a larger theater? Not that you want to get into too big a place, but 
I could see it working in a 100-seat house easily. Yeah, I mean, you know, if, if ticket sales keep going as they are going, then that's a, that's a very real possibility for us. I mean, we've had some interest from outside parties as well. Um, so, How about any, uh, anybody, any New York people or other cities? Uh, possibility. I mean, everything's still early right now, so I wouldn't want to say anything and jinx us. But, yeah, they, I mean, there's a very real possibility of this having a life after this. Um but you never know. So yeah, get your that's true. Out. <laughs> well, if you if you start running the course like a steady rain did, you know, that's had some shelf life, and I understand there's probably going to be a film of that. Yeah, you know, I never saw a steady rain, but I'm I'm very familiar with Chicago dramatists, and and I'm, I'm I love those guys over there. Oh so, yeah. Um, even to be and I and I like Keith Huff as well. I mean, you know, I, again, I haven't read a steady rain, but. I respect him a lot as a writer, so even to be mentioned sort of in the same sentence as, as something that was remounted on Broadway with amazing actors, you know, that's pretty good company to keep, absolutely. Well, <laughs> isn't it funny that. now, after this play, as the word's getting out and so forth, all of a sudden, what was the name of the other play that you were trying to market? Uh, American Rex. You know, all of a sudden, that one's going to be a lot better than people are going to reread it again. Isn't that funny how yeah. that works? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Rick has already uh, talked to me a little bit about that. That he's starting to get a little bit of a little bit of nibbles now, whereas uh, it was very hard before. And I have other scripts that have been sitting around, but it's uh, it's almost harder than an actor. You know, as an actor, you really need an agent, and uh, and sort of the same thing with a writer. Although I found it probably ten times harder to get a writing agent than it has been to get an acting agent. <laughs> but but us reviewers keep saying where where are the where are the new writers? You know, and thank God Chicago. I see forty or fifty uh world premieres a year here. And I yeah. I'll tell you yours is as good as anything I've seen in the last year or so. Uh and better than most. But so you do have a shot here, but 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 we need new writers. So I I it's one of the reasons why Five minutes into your show, I said, I got to get this guy in the podcast. Let's help promote this show because this is really, really something. Well, I think theaters are, are doing themselves a real disservice by mounting new work by, you know, David Mamet, an established playwright, <laughs> when, when they really have an opportunity to look at some unproduced writers and maybe some writers that don't have agents yet who are just struggling, you know, particularly yeah. the smaller houses could really make an impact. Well, Looking Glass, I mean, I, I'm, Steppenwolf is starting to do that, Dramatist does. But, you know, there's a practical thing. Some people say, well, unknown script, unknown writer, you know, it's hard to get an audience. You know what I tell them? Then do uh, a Tennessee Williams or a Mammoth or a musical that everyone loves. And then you'll have the money, and then you can do a work of art by a new writer. Right. And and some theaters are starting to do that. But we still got to have that fresh blood. And uh, uh, we're we're going to be following you quite a bit. Well, I appreciate that, Tom. I really do, and and I I can't say enough about your support. It's it, it's been great to have it, and uh, and I you know I know Pine Box really appreciate it. You know they've been gone for three years now, and they're back with a bang. So hopefully Pine Box will be around for many. Oh years. yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 need them too, right? We need good producing uh, companies. Well, what's uh, what's the future for you? I always ask that. What, what do you want to do that you haven't done? You know, I, I'd love to, I'd love to, I'd love to take a step back from acting for a while and, and focus more on my writing. I mean, I, I've been making a living for about seven years now as, as an actor in Chicago, primarily doing commercial and film work. And, um, for me, just being able to step away from doing the, the odd film or, you know, Budweiser commercial and, and, and really focus on developing this new work and getting it out there would be key for me. That would be ideal. And, you know, I, I'm now a company member of Pine Box. They made me a company member last week, which I'm thrilled about. 
Um, so if I get to keep making wonderful theater with these guys, I, I, I could think of worse fates than that. <laughs> yeah. Well, keep up the work because, like I said, we need new, fresh voices that, and people that can produce show. Your show is powerful, but it's, it is extremely entertaining. You cannot walk out of that show, uh, without being affected by it. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've got other scripts on the shelf just gathering dust, so I'm happy to dust them off. <laughs> well, isn't that, like I said, isn't it funny how how a hit makes everything else look so much better? And novelists and musicians will tell you that's, that's just how the world works. Very much so. But, Very much. So. Uh, that's why you got to you got to just keep this thing rolling, and and you you really have put a great creative team together for it, folks. Yeah. Uh, a girl with sun in her eyes. It is a police procedural, a mystery, and a shocking. A great piece of theater. So go see that show. And thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.